In this episode, we're going to talk about prototyping game mechanics and how to find the fun. going. Um, welcome to the sixth episode. I'm your host, Zachavelli, um, and hopefully this is reaching to you on Wednesday, May 6th. That means I followed through with the bi-weekly schedule, and uh, yeah, we're trying out this new bi-weekly schedule every other Wednesday. Um, so yeah, today's uh, episode is about um, prototyping game mechanics and finding the fun. Uh, but first, we got to talk about the idea jam. So the idea jam from last week um, was design or redesign a reload mechanic for modern shooters. It stems from the idea of last week of um, a good way to innovate is to take the most boring part of your favorite game and make a game about that. And so we went real general with it um you know shooting games are probably one of the most popular around but one of the most boring parts of shooting games or one of the underutilized parts is the reload all you do basically is press a button and it's done so i think there's a lot of um innovation to be had there and uh yeah i got some good ideas so i'm gonna read my favorite so this comes from edmund reynolds on twitter and he says, what about a 3v3 shooter where each team has to share one magazine? Essentially, one player of the three starts with the magazine, and only that player can shoot. And then if another player needs to shoot, they have to pass the magazine back and forth between each other. You could also have some kind of quick time event to reload the gun, and if you mess up the quick time, maybe the gun jams, and that takes your whole team down because they can't if the magazine's jammed in one person's gun then your whole team can't shoot for a little bit and yeah i thought this was a really really cool idea um one thing with it is if one of your teammates is the only one who can shoot uh, i'm not sure what the other two are doing maybe they're holding angles or running up to melee fight each other but yeah, I thought it was real interesting that only one person on your team can shoot, but you can transfer that ability through the mag. And I th I can see some like really cool moments where you're playing and you're, you know, you're like, hey, I got this guy over here, throw me the mag. And then you like slide it across the floor, toss it, they catch it, jam it into their gun, pull the charging handle, load around and shoot. That's, that's pretty cool. Definitely an idea that maybe needs to be fleshed out a little bit more up. Uh, uh, based on the people who don't have the magazine, what they are doing. But yeah, that's a that's a cool uh, seedling of an idea. And I really should probably <laughs> explain this before the idea jam starts, but an idea jam is basically just a game design topic usually uh, that we start the show with, and it's just kind of like a thought exercise on, oh, basically I give a topic and then people send in their ideas and I talk about them on the show. So for the next jam, maybe if this is your first jam you're ever hearing, you should definitely join the next one. 
Um, the next idea jam is to design a multiplayer levolution. And if you don't know, a levolution, the term comes from uh, one of my favorite shooting games of all time, Battlefield 4. And in Battlefield 4, the multiplayer maps, they change throughout the round and they just the marketing of Battlefield 4 kind of declared these as levolutions. So like a classic example is there's a map with a giant skyscraper that is one of the capture points and there's you know rooms to fight in up top there's rooms to fight in on the ground floor but you can actually blow up the bottom of the skyscraper and the whole thing will fall down and then the rest of the map for the rest of the round not only has a fallen down skyscraper debris but it also has like dust in the air and the visibility is reduced and it's it's one of my favorite ideas and it unfortunately i don't think it happens anymore but it was making me think and you'll see why later in the episode um why is it that levels are static for most multiplayer games probably has something to do with balance um it's probably easier to balance a level when you know it's going to you know relatively play the same every time but yeah i think this is a really interesting idea and it's one I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on. So yeah, for the next jam, um, design a multiplayer evolution. It doesn't have to be for like a battlefield size game. It could be for a, you know, smaller shooting game. It doesn't even have to be a shooting game. You could think of in Smash Brothers, I think there are some maps that change throughout the round. Or like a Mario Kart map that changes throughout the round. Basically, I just want to talk about evolving level design during the round you can send your ideas in to me at uh at underscore zaccavelli underscore on twitter that's at underscore zaccavelli with two l's underscore on twitter or send me an email uh at cottage street interactive at gmail.com so with that let's get into the body of the episode so today's topic is finding the fun, which kind of seems like a, you know, marketing term, but by finding the fun, I essentially mean we want to prototype our game mechanics and try out a lot of our ideas to find out which ones people are going to think are fun and which ones maybe uh, don't pan out. And finding the fun, it seems like it's really easy to do, right? Anyone who's ever had a video game idea thinks that that idea is going to be fun and it's because the ideas ideas are fun uh most of us who have ever thought up a video game anyone who's ever played a video game really has probably thought up a video game before thinking it would be fun but 95 percent of those ideas will not pan out when they're actually made and it's not that they're bad ideas it's just finding the fun is really really difficult um, to capture. It's one thing to have all these ideas in your head, but to actually design a game and have the right variables and design principles that actually captures your original thought is very difficult. And that's one thing about fun that makes it um, so hard, but also makes it what it is, is that you can't fake fun. Something is either fun or it isn't. There's no formula for it. It's just, as much as I hate this term, it is, it's, 
it is what it is. I usually try and describe fun when I'm thinking about it in a video game sense as collectively subjective. Now, I know that's kind of a weird term and you're thinking like, oh, now he's a philosophizer. And yes, that is a dodgeball quote. If you haven't seen that movie, go watch it. By collectively subjective, I mean that it's may not be for everyone, but if it's fun, there was a group of people who will agree that it's fun. And that's why I don't usually agree with the idea that like games are good or bad. I think especially in how games journalism goes these days, it's either like something's a 10 out of 10 or it's garbage. But really the truth is that if you could even objectively look at it, I think most games would come in uh, like in the middle of the road if you got the opinions of everyone because some games are for people and some just aren't. For instance, some people really, really love the battle royale genre and for me personally, it's just I don't find it fun. That doesn't mean these games are bad. It's just I personally don't find them fun and I'm sure there are people who personally find them to be the most fun genre. They wonder why there even is other video games. And this gets into my first point about genres. Um, This is why there are game genres. It's basically so that it makes it easier for the consumers, the gamers, to find the fun. If you like Call of Duty, you're probably going to like Battlefield. You're probably going to like Fortnite. Or you're at least going to like elements that all three of those things share and then you'll be able to find your specific flavor. There are people in the comments right now absolutely roasting me for (laughs) comparing Call of Duty to Fortnite, but you know what I mean. If you like shooting games, there's plenty of choice out there. And if one works for you, you know, you're going to at least enjoy elements of other shooting games. But if you went from Call of Duty to a game like EVE, which is basically a spreadsheet space trucking simulator there's not really any similar elements between those two games and i think if you enjoy call of duty that doesn't mean you're also going to enjoy eve if you had the choice between eve and fortnite and you're a call of duty fan you're probably going to play fortnite and maybe i'm getting really off track here and focusing too much on the end user the gamer but I think it's important to understand why people find games fun uh, in the first place. And maybe the why isn't, but where they find games fun uh, helps more with design. A perfect example of this, of how it's kind of nebulous and unexplainable, but you just know it when you feel it. If you've ever played the Halo, Bungie's Halo games or Destiny, you know that the shooting in that just feels good. It's just straight up fun to shoot guns in Halo and Destiny. And it's, for me personally, it's hard to explain. Is it the, you know, the way the cursor moves? Is it the way the aim acceleration is? Is it the way the bullet impacts? Is it the sound design of the guns? The truth is, as we discover later, it's going to be a mixture of all these things. But once you have that dialed in, both the Bungie Halo games and Destiny do a really, really good job of consistently providing that shooting experience that is fun to pretty much anyone, even if you're not 
a shooter fan. So I've already explained that there is no perfect formula for making a fun game, but if we were to imagine a formula, what kind of things would we control and kind of put into our cocktail in order to make fun? And for the rest of the episode, I'm going to call these things variables. And the truth is there's like a million variables that go into what makes a fun game. And I could never list them all off. Nobody could ever list them all off. Some of them are truly random. I don't even think they're intended by the game designer. It's just the way things work out. But I do have a method for sort of collecting these variables and tweaking them to help find the fun in your games. So the first thing I do is I start with something um, that I know is fun. This usually means I start with a genre um, and kind of figure out what kind of things go into this genre. Why do people like these kind of games? And I personally, uh, partially because I'm trying to make money with my games, so I look for low saturated markets, but I personally like to go um, with games that maybe people have liked in the past, but that don't really exist anymore. But that doesn't mean you have to do that. Um, one might argue that the most popular genres, the most saturated genres, are because those are the genres that have the largest group of people that find them fun. But whatever genre you decide to pick, um, really boil down the game mechanics that make that fun and try and figure out the variables. You don't have to find them at all, all of them. Like I said before, you probably could never find all of them. There's millions of them. But just try and figure out all the variables, all the little things that make it fun. This can be things like how the controls work, how teams work together, the sound design, the color scheme, the world that this game exists in, how the communications work between the players, and on and on and on. And you can see how... There are tons and tons of variables, probably more than you can consider, that make a fun game. But try and boil it down to, like, three main ones that you think why that game is as fun it is, as it is, or that genre is as fun as it is. And then what I do, in my mind, is I imagine these variables as, like, dials, uh, like on a giant soundboard. And I can turn the dials up or I can turn the dials down. And that'll become important in a second, and you'll see why. So the next thing we want to identify for our own game is something I like to call an X-Factor. An X-Factor is a game idea, or even it could be one of these variables, um, that's going to set your game apart from any game in the genre that exists, or if you're basing your game off one that already exists, it's going to be the thing that sets it apart. So maybe you're designing a Mario Kart-like game, a kart racer genre game. In order to really stand out, you want to inject an X-Factor, something that does not exist in the genre, hasn't existed in Mario Kart before. Because the truth is, if you're just going to make a Mario Kart clone, one, you're competing with Nintendo and some of the best game designers who have ever lived. So you're going to have to do as good or better than them. But two, because the video game market is just so saturated, it's hard to describe to people why 
you should play their game and not just go play Mario Kart. Plus, if you're making art, you kind of want to make it your own anyways, or at least that's how I feel. I'm not going to tell anyone how to make art. <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly not some uh, galaxy-brained artist here, but when I make art, I want to make something that's inspired by the things that I like, but I also want it to be my own. So yeah, you have a kart racer and you want to inject an X-Factor. Um, I'm just going to think of one quick off the top of my head so that you can get an idea. We have a kart racer that the X-Factor is that the carts are uh, like giant buses and they support teams of four. And so in this example, each kart is actually a team of four people, four individual players. So you can see how this idea is inspired by um, the sort of Mario Karts and I think there's a Donkey Kong kart racer that has teams of two, like two people on one kart. But anyways, so that's our X Factor. That's the Mario Kart and other games like it are the inspiration. Our X Factor is that we're actually driving giant carts with teams of four people. And maybe each of these four people have to, like, one steers the thing, one powers the engine, one does, like, repairs, and one collects items and throws them at other carts. So now that we have our X Factor and we have our variables in mind that we know makes a fun kart racing game, remember the variables are going to be uh, different per person because, you know, games are fun for different reasons for each of us, but as long as you've identified some variables, you'll be on the right path. Now we want to go back to that giant soundboard of variables, and we want to play with the dials. And so one of the variables that I think makes kart racers fun is speed, or at least the sense of speed that you get when you're you know, racing your cart along. There's something satisfying about hitting the turbo button in your cart, like taking off. So now we want to consider what our game does, our game with the X Factor, when we play with the speed dial. If we keep it the same, it doesn't really change our game that much from the original. And maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing. This is where playtesting comes in, and I'll talk about that in a second, but let's think about if we turn the speed dial up, that's gonna just make the game a little bit more chaotic in my opinion. And in a game where you're communicating with four other people, like, hey, we gotta steer this way, and oh, drive over there to pick up that item but don't hit the boost because the engine's not ready for it I think speed just makes things a lot more chaotic and it doesn't really allow for good teamwork in our imaginary game however if we turn the speed dial down make things a little bit slower it actually makes the game better in my opinion because it allows for more teamwork because it just gives you a little bit more time to communicate with your teammates and figure out what to do. So you can see how with this one variable, we're actually kind of trying to dial in the fun. Where's the fun at for our game idea with our X factor? You can see that if the dial, the speed dial is too high, you know, we're losing the fun. If it's the same, it's not really that much different. And maybe we're losing the fun because even the same is still too fast. But if we turn it down, we're going to hit this perfect balance of it's fast enough so that you still feel like you're racing, but it's not so fast that you can't communicate with your teammates and it doesn't make the game too hectic 
and too chaotic that it's not fun. On the flip side, maybe the hectic and chaosness is its own variable, and if you dialed that one up, it actually becomes more fun. The truth is, you won't know until you play test it. And that's where I get into my next point um, of playtesting. Now, you can make some good observations and probably estimations just based on common sense. For instance, the idea that if we turn the speed dial all the way up, if we crank that up to 11, the game's probably just, it's not even going to be playable because things are going to be moving so fast that it probably won't really allow for teamwork. It probably just depend on whoever's steering and pray to God that you're going in the right direction. And so it might be fun for the one person steering, but for everyone else, you know, because the speed's so high, things are really happening without them and they might feel like they're sitting out. So that's maybe an estimation you can make without playtesting, play but you're not going to be able to see such a clear and direct idea with every variable. One reason why is because these variables actually play off of each other a lot. And so you might turn one up and that'll affect like five other variables that you just can't really connect in your mind. But once you play, you'll be able to notice. So that's why it's important to play test. And for play testing, I recommend that you just have like the bare mechanics of your game. You want to make sure you're play testing a lot when you're designing the mechanics. Uh, don't worry about the art. Don't worry if it looks ugly. Straight up do it with simple shapes like blocks and spheres and just really simple shapes. Um, make sure you got your game mechanics dialed in before you put in a bunch of time into the other stuff. But play for those, play with those variables, play with those dials, and figure out what's fun and what's not fun. And make sure you play test it a lot. And don't cheat yourself and think you have a great idea. Try it out and then like convince yourself that it's fun. You'll know if it's fun or not. There's, like I said earlier, there's no way to fake it. And the truth is, it's really easy to convince yourself because you put in a lot of hard work. So you probably want to ask, um, you know, your friends, maybe people who aren't your friends, just get random strangers to, you know, try out your game, prototype it a little bit, and you can get some really good feedback on what is fun and what's not fun. And that's a good way to save yourself a whole bunch of time because the worst feeling is when you've put in a lot of time towards a game and you finally finish, it took you like months to make it, and once you finish, it's just not fun. I personally have been guilty of that. You know, I've made entire games and then I've finished and I'm just like, oh man, this just isn't as fun as I thought it would be. When really I could have just play tested the simple mechanics and, you know, after a while figured that out for myself. And what you're going for here is not thousands of hours uh, play testing mechanics, but you just want lots of iterations. So when you're playing with your variables, really... Um, take them to extremes, I would recommend. Like if you imagine speed on a scale of 100, 50 is right in the middle. Don't test speed at 51, then 52, then 53. That'll just take way too long. And you'll get a general sense of where it needs to be. Maybe take speed to 75, and if that's way too fast, then take it down to 25. And if that feels alright, but maybe a little slow, then you know jump it to 40. And do it like that. Now, when you're playing with your dials of your variables, um, make sure, this is where like you can go off the path of fun or more onto the path. You 
got to make sure that your variables really work with your X factor. These two things should complement each other. So here's a very simple example for our four-person kart racer. Let's think about communication as a dial, where if we have the dial turned up to 100, you have full voice communication, maybe even uh, it's like VR read your body so that you can flip off your teammates or whatever. Like you have that high level of communication, both voice and body language. And then a zero is you can't even see your other teammates. You have no idea what they're doing. So with our X factor, um, it's easy to see that something that's going to complement a four-person racer is a higher level of communication. Now, it may, it may be fun and maybe even a little funny to dial the communication back, but I think past the cheap, you know, funniness of it, I don't think it's a very deep gameplay idea and I don't think it's I think it's just going to lead to frustration so that's something that's pretty clear and pretty naturally works together your x factor is kind of a codependency on your teammates you know you want your team of four people to work together what's a variable that works with that first place my mind my mind goes is communication so we go to the communication dial and turn it up it's also worth considering do you have to turn it up all the way to 100 because that's going to add a lot of development time you know, full voice, full VR. So maybe you can get away with turning that dial up to 70 where you just have voice comms. And so these are the kind of things you got to consider when playing with your variables and playing with your X factors. So I know that kind of capturing the fun and prototyping ideas is kind of a nebulous um, idea. So I wanted to give one more real world example that I think will help a lot of people understand this idea. And I chose a pretty big game so that it would apply to a lot of people that maybe have played this um, as my example. But I think what you're going to get out of this is going to apply to small games too. So the game series really that I chose is Battlefield 4 and Battlefield 5. Strangely, um, Battlefield 1 and I think another Battlefield game came in between 4 and 5. But for today I'm just comparing... Battlefield 4 to Battlefield 5. And most of this is my opinion, um, so just take it with a grain of salt, I guess. So, in my opinion, Battlefield 4 was a far superior game to Battlefield 5. And for that, I'm talking about specifically the multiplayer. And I think this opinion is shared amongst a lot of people who played these games. Um, and there's a lot of different opinions on why that is. You know, it might have to do with the FPS principles, um, the technical stuff like time to kill, uh, refresh rates on the servers, stuff like that. And all that's valid, but if we're going to talk about why Battlefield 4 feels fun and Battlefield 5 doesn't, of course it's going to be subjective to each person, but let's think about it in the model that I presented earlier. So first thing we're going to want to do is identify some variables in Battlefield games that makes them fun. And like I said earlier, there's way too many variables to count, but one of the key variables to me that makes a fun Battlefield game is cinematicness. <laughs> and I'm not sure if cinematicness is an actual word, but by 
cinematicness, I mean, that's the variable that makes you feel like you're in an action movie. It used to be their marketing tagline only in Battlefield because you would see like these crazy video clips of people jumping out of planes and shooting other planes with rockets and then jumping back into their own plane and people launching uh, vehicles across the map with C4 and blowing up buildings and sniper shots that are like three miles away. It just has a lot of moments that make you feel like you're in a movie. And Battlefield 4, in my opinion, did this the best because it had the best X Factor within the series. The X Factor in Battlefield 4 was the Levolution, which is the thing I talked about in the Game Jam. Um, But that was the idea that the multiplayer map that you were playing on would evolve throughout the match. And I talked about uh, my favorite map, Siege of Shanghai, where the skyscraper falls down. And it's a full-size skyscraper. It's not something like happens in the background. You can be killed by the skyscraper. You could be flying a helicopter next to it, and the skyscraper falls on you. There's always people on top of the skyscraper, and so when it begins to fall, you like see it shake, and everybody jumps off, and then you got people flying in parachutes, and they're shooting each other while they're flying in parachutes. It's crazy. It's awesome, and it really doubles down on the cinematicness um, variable. When we're thinking about variables that double down on the cinematicness, God, that's hard to say, maybe because it's a made-up word, but (laughs) when we're thinking about variables and how they interact with each other, let's think about something as simple as explosive damage. How much damage do explosions do? Well, if you have that turned way up, that's going to be a lot more cinematic. If you have it turned way down, then it's going to make explosions feel kind of weak and wimpy. So that's a good example of how variables can affect each other. And in my opinion, Battlefield 4 has all of its variables perfectly dialed in to create as many cinematic moments as possible when you're playing the game. You could spend the whole match without even shooting a gun, just driving around, crashing into things, exploding stuff, and still have fun. And so that's why, in my opinion, Battlefield 4 has done a perfect job of capturing the fun and finding the fun and keeping it fun. Battlefield 5, on the other hand, kind of dips in and out of the fun and oftentimes loses it. So let's think about the variables and X-Factor that went into Battlefield 5. It was hard to kind of come up with a clear-cut X-Factor in Battlefield 5 because they got rid of Levolution and then I'm not really sure, you know, what their big thing was this time around. But one of them was the idea, I can't remember what it's called, but basically it's the idea that one multiplayer match will affect the next like you were fighting like a real war. So like you fight one match and it's like a battle that affects the next match on the next map. Um, And so yeah, so they were trying to convey this sense of war where each battle kind of affects the next one. But really usually what this dialed down to was like a numbers advantage or more supplies or longer capture time, stuff like that. So like if one team won the attack part of the map, then on the next map... Um, they would have more lives on their attack portion against the defenders. And this on its own is actually not a bad idea. I, I like this idea of, especially in a World War II game where you're trying to convey that, you know, battles affect each other and 
these battles are happening all over the world. But when you think about it, the X factor is kind of like a logistics-based thing, really. Which is cool that, you know, there's lots of people who like logistics stuff. Um, Hearts of Iron 4 is a popular game where you manage armies during World War II, and it's literally all logistics. All you're doing is planning where the armies are going to go, how they get their supplies. you got to, like, straight up set up the factories that make the tanks. And so there's definitely a market for people who like logistics and like that idea of World War II where battles are affecting each other and it's this kind of grand campaign across Europe. But what makes a Battlefield game fun is chaos and cinematicness and feeling like you're in a action movie. And remember that fun is subjective, so I'm sure there are people who prefer this kind of battlefield. But I think if you just look at the numbers, go look at what people are playing, people's opinions, the majority of people found Battlefield 5 to be not as good as Battlefield 4. And that's because they violated the rule that I pointed out earlier that your variables should complement your X factor. And basically what Battlefield did was they kept the same variables from Battlefield 4 that complement cinematicness and then they inserted the X factor of, you know, kind of like a logistics and strategy thing. And so now you got gameplay that feels chaotic with an X factor that's like extremely deterministic and logistical. And so it, it doesn't really double down on the cinematicness, it just kind of reduces your fights to a numbers game. And yeah, you can still do cool stuff in explosions, but games earlier in the series had skyscrapers falling out of the sky and giant battleships crashing into islands. And for this, you have like a old war map that says you get 200 more guys this time. And all this boils down to the golden rule to me of making a video game and if you listen to other episodes, you'll know that this is kind of like what I live by. But your game should evoke an emotion. You're trying to capture an emotion to make a compelling game. And fun oftentimes is the most, um, is the emotion that most games are trying to evoke. But it doesn't always have to be fun, if that makes sense. For instance, think about um, the Dark Souls games. The emotion that those evoke is kind of suffering you you know what I mean like you die a lot and it's really hard and it's going to be frustrating but once you finally beat it you're going to feel like relieved and accomplished and somewhere in there is the fun maybe fun's not the right word but some people find like the struggle and hardship and finally overcoming that as like the most fun thing you could possibly do in a battlefield game the fun part is feeling the emotion like you're in an action movie. A very similar emotion. This is the emotion I feel, and it's hard to like um, describe it or put a label on it, but you know in like Star Wars movies when the co-pilot of, let's say, like the Millennium Falcon, like when Luke shoots a TIE fighter for the first time, and uh, I think Han Solo says like, don't get cocky or something like that. Or when Poe and Finn escape and they're like shooting the turrets off the spaceship and they have that like moment of elation. Like that's the emotion I feel in Battlefield when 
like I'm flying around, maybe my friend's piloting a helicopter and I have an RPG and I shoot a rocket out and it miraculously hits something. That emotion is extremely satisfying, extremely fun, and to me that's why I play Battlefield games. And I think Battlefield 5, it loses the fun because its X-Factor and its variables conflict, and so you don't know what emotion you're supposed to feel, and you kind of have a mishmash of not really any one strong emotion. You rather kind of just moderately feel a bunch of other things, and it just it, it just gets lost. It gets all muddied up and lost. So remember to kind of try and follow the golden rule. You're trying to evoke an emotion. And the emotion doesn't always have to be directly fun. Remember that some people find fun in hardship, um, suffering. <laughs> some people are masochists and like to play Dark Souls and die a billion times and... Some people like to play uh, Animal Crossing and, you know, just kind of relax. So there's lots of places fun can be. You just have to remember that you're evoking an emotion, and if you do it the right way, that emotion will lead to fun. People will find fun or satisfaction or accomplishment or feel compelled, however you want to say it. If you evoke a strong enough emotion, um, they're going to find it. So this is going to probably be one of the longest longest episodes I've done so far. So I just want to do a quick summary of everything I said. Um, my method for finding fun is you want to use lots of iterations of variables that complement your X factor. Remember, variables are the things that go into the genre or style or maybe you're basing your game on a game that already exists. They're the things that kind of describe how that game works. And then you have your X factor. That's your thing that sets your game apart. So then you take your variables, you tweak them so that they complement your X factor. Remember, you want to double down on your X factor. And Battlefield 4 got it right because they took their cinematicness variable, cranked that all the way up because they knew their X factor was going to be sweet action movie stuff that happens in the middle of the multiplayer rounds and remember the golden rule of making video games is that we want to evoke an emotion so that the player feels compelled and so that they can find the fun so yeah with that i think i'm gonna end it i know that was a little bit of a longer episode hopefully you stuck with it all the way i think there was some good nuggets of info in there um if you want to reach out and talk to me about anything or maybe uh try next week's game idea jam uh you can reach me on twitter that's at underscore zaccavelli underscore um zaccavelli is spelled z-a-c-k-a-v-e-l-l-i and i've got underscores on both sides of it on Twitter because some a-hole with 22 followers stole <laughs> the uh, original Zaccavelli. So I'm going to have to figure out how to get that. He's probably not an a-hole. I shouldn't say that. He's probably a nice guy. He just he took my name. Um, you can also reach me uh, at Cottage Street Interactive um, at gmail.com. That's Cottage Street Interactive at gmail.com. 
um yeah and don't be afraid to reach out we can talk about anything talk about any old game idea jams if you want to rebring them back up and yeah i love to talk about game design with other people um so make sure to reach out so thanks for listening um i've been zachavelli make sure to launch your jet ski off the map and see you guys next time